What do we do after the fires, the floods, the pandemic? We live in a crisis-rich environment. And how do we learn and prepare for next time? My name is Will Small and this is Olivia Wolf. We believe stories are one of the most powerful learning and evolutionary tools we have. And this, this orange glow is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, this is not good. So we've listened to people's stories about disaster recovery, community resilience and mental well-being. From firefighters to clinical psychologists. There was a family that were actually um, protecting their house and they actually gave up their, their Christmas lunch. Small business owners to communities who have experienced loss and communities that have survived together. It's not often that people intentionally go out of their way to get to know their neighbours these days. These are conversations about what has happened, what may happen and how we can prepare for the future. It was an ordeal that we'll never forget. This is Emergency Ready Now. This podcast is presented by Central Coast Council and lead by Story and jointly funded by the Commonwealth and the New South Wales State Government under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. The views expressed are the opinions of the individuals interviewed. Please be aware these topics may be sensitive, particularly if you have personally been affected by bushfires. If you need to talk to someone, you can always call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Do you feel like you have a community of people you can depend on? Do you feel like you have a tribe you belong to or someone you can ask for help in the event of a crisis? Today, we're delving into what it means to be connected, how to build a neighbourhood and how to not only work on your own mental health, but that of the young people in your life as well. In this episode, we had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. John Irvine. John Irvine is one of Australia's most heard, seen and read child psychologists, and he's taught in New South Wales schools for many years. Dr. John is a paediatric psychologist, and with his brother Warwick, he developed the Reed Clinic in Gosford, now one of the largest and most comprehensive psychology clinics on the East Coast. He's written several books and most recently wrote the Australian guidelines for the Worry Woos program, aimed at helping children to identify and manage their emotional and social challenges. Dr. John's extensive work with children, trauma and crisis make him uniquely qualified to help us understand how times like these, plagued with fires, floods and pandemics, can affect our children's mental health and how we can do our part to create stable and safe environments for our young people to flourish in. John also had a lot to say about how adults can care for their own mental health, create better relationships and well-being for the entire community. You know, this last 12 months has obviously been, uh, I just think of the word relentless, you know, disasters, disruption, um, anything that you can imagine kind of going wrong feels like it has gone wrong. And here on the Central Coast, um, you know, before COVID-19, before the pandemic, we started the year with these um, enormous, horrendous kind of bushfires um, and then floods, just sort of one thing to the next. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, John, how do you think this series of events may have uniquely impacted the children and young people in our community? Uh, if you say uniquely, I don't think, I think anxiety has been building up over the uh, last 10, 15, 20 years We're getting more and more cases. We've got um, 25% of kids under eight who've got anxiety issues. uh, That that is not my guess. That is the actual uh, 
uh, diagnostic sort of parameters. Um, so, but this year's brought it to a head in all sorts of ways. And it's kids feed off their parents. Uh, that's how they know what the world's safe. They get their values, they get their prejudice, they get everything from their parents. Are we safe? Should we be doing whatever? And when the parents aren't coping, then you've got kids who are really struggling because that's the reassurance and they're not getting it. So if we can if we can rearm our parents, if we can rearm our families, the kids will be feeling that I'll be coping, but it's certainly been uh, uh, an issue, so much so that uh, I'm not sure about the stats you've got, but within our own clinic, the Red Clinic, um, uh, every clinician's booked out for well past Christmas. They've never seen anything like this. And it's not as if it's a free service, you know, they have to pay and they have to get referrals from doctors and so on. So it's, but that's how desperate the need is in the community generally. And we're suffering fairly silently, you know, we're not seeing too many outbursts as they have overseas. But um, it's unique in the sense that it's more acute, I think, than ever before. Do you think? in some ways with a year that has had so many one thing after the next that there'll almost be a continued lag? Like, do you think that that need in terms of people booking in to, to see services will kind of continue to increase? Like, is does it sort of yeah. take a while to catch up? I think so. I, I don't think we've seen the, all the uh, – I don't think we've seen the peak of it at all yet. Uh, and uh, this is a very timely podcast you're doing because uh, if we can come up with ways to actually re-energise and regroup the families and communities, we'll be doing those kids. Uh, because I'll say this again, but kids have, for thousands of years, we lived in a tribe. Uh, the tribe went to extended family and then the two-parent family, and one in three or thereabouts is a one-parent family. So the, the tribe's getting smaller and the network of supports is getting smaller. So therefore, each of the cells within that tribe, each of the units, is, is more vulnerable, more exposed to any weaknesses. There's no one covering for them. And so I think that's a, a, a real issue. But I don't, I don't want to be pessimistic about it. I think this is why you're doing this. So we can see, well, what can we do to rearm that, those communities because you're so knowledgeable, John, I wanted to ask, as these kind of crises are emerging, um, and obviously there's going to be more crises like this ecologically, technologically, culturally, um, with your experience, what do you think are the most important skills for young Australians to develop to deal with these kinds of things? Um, I don't know that it's young Australians. How we equip them and I could sum this up very quickly, we need a sense of belonging. Belonging is what it's all about. And kids can cope with all sorts of things if they belong. My worry was, uh, these are all my seven uh, plush toys where they've got the accompanying book and Wince has got worries and Twitch is frustrated and, and, and Squeak has got insecurity and Noel has got loneliness. And so they're all seven of them. But the secret and why they're going so well is that um, 
the kids are learning from each other how to cope. As soon as a parent or a teacher tries to tell them what to do, <gasps> but when other kids say, well, when I get worried, I give mum a hug or I, I do this. Or I do, do you? Does it help? Yeah. Wow. Because the tribe's talking and kids need to belong to the tribe. Now, kids have got their tribe. Parents don't. Parents might get oh, somewhere like a league club or whatever, but there's no one actually using the power of parents and sort of, well, you might get it in your little A's group or your soccer clubs or something where they get the parents going. But as a community, parents need the tribe and they can cope with a lot if they had the tribe talking with them and for them because they belong. I just think that people are looking for me, to me for tricky answers on how we arm young people. It's not all that tricky. They don't want to listen to your trite stuff. They don't want the expert. They need to be able to facilitate it so they can actually touch base with each other. They've got facilitators that are helping them to do it and they're learning from each other and they feel they belong. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely a, a profound thought that we can face the same kind of situation or circumstance but our response is going to be completely different if mm. we're isolated compared to if we have a sense oh. of belonging. We face the same challenges but yes. that belonging piece is huge. Well, it's when it's fragmented and the families are a bit disengaged and parents are out at work and they don't have as much time now and when it's fragmented there is no, no – we are social animals and, you know – and and if you've got your social support, you can cope with anything. And you know, get on the phone, da, 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 text. We can cope with all sorts of things if we're not alone. Mm. I'm sure you've heard people, you know, make the observation that we live in this unique time where we're sort of more connected than ever. We've got all this digital connection, twenty four seven connection. People can access me all the time. Yeah. Um. But we also struggle with that deeper connection and that that sense of belonging to something larger. Do you have thoughts around that sort of paradox that we're living yeah, through? Yeah, well, aren't we in some paradoxes? You know, you've heard that old one, we've got taller buildings and shorter tempers, wide freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more and enjoy it less. Bigger houses, smaller families, more conveniences but less time, more knowledge but less judgment, more experts but more problems, more medicine but less wellness. You've heard that before but it is a paradox it's an incredible paradox that people I don't think have ever been lonelier, you know. And I, I look at communities and I was talking to a, a lady the other day and she said, oh, I just ran to a, a person. She used to live in our complex. And uh, I said to her, oh, where have you been? I met her in the supermarket. I haven't seen you for 18 months. She said, no, I'm still there, just that uh, we haven't crossed paths. Yet when I worked in the bush in the country, you couldn't see a house miles they were so connected they were really in touch and it seems like the closer we are uh like on a bus or a train we need that distance but when you've got space you want to connect so yeah we're, we're very connected um technologically physically even in covid we're 1.5 connected but in terms of uh in terms of how we feel in our soul and our emotion, we feel mm. very, very lonely and lost. Mm. Yeah, it's, it sort of says to me that we can't just 
we can't just expect that technology will take care of that for us or that certain, you know, developments will will just mean that that is automatic. Like that need to connect is always going to require a level of human intentionality and, um, yeah, I've, maybe it's connected. My next kind of question for you is going to be around, you've got a big theme in your work around emotional literacy. I'm just wondering for people maybe that haven't heard that term or maybe have heard it yeah. but are a bit unsure, could you just talk to us a little bit about what it means to well, be emotionally literate? Um, research is crystal clear that EQ or emotional intelligence beats IQ, hands down, success, happiness, uh, commitment, um, <clears throat> well-being. Definitely. And you know the people you work with and it won't be their IQ that makes them good to work with or uh, leaders, it'll be their EQ and yet... If you look at, say, Gardner's model of intelligence and you've got sort of all the quadrants in that and you see all your maths and science and reading, literature and natural science and music, phys ed and so on, they're all catered for in the curriculum. But your intrapersonal and your interpersonal, well, you just pick that up on the run. Uh, So it's been neglected. So I'm putting a lot more attention to that. And the results have been spectacular and, you know, we've tested all the Catholic schools in the Broken Bay area and, uh, you know, with, if you know stats with 1% probability this is by chance, we're better than 1% in terms of their resilience, their ability to talk about stuff, their ability to manage it, according to the teachers. And, and I just think that teachers are longing for it, kids are longing for it and uh, the school that I'm working most, cl- most closely with, uh, which is um, Erina Heights, uh, they feel the kids are performing better and that they belong more and uh, they're uh, extending, I've, I've written the Australian guidelines for three to eight year olds they're extending them and they're looking at other emotions and drawing other characters and making dramas out of them and mm. doing experiments with them. So I, I uh, just think, and I know it rings true to you or anyone listening to this, that if you're looking after somebody emotionally, if you go through the old uh, hierarchy of Maslow's hierarchy, you probably did in year one, 101, um, there's all your physical and and emotional needs and and your safety and so on. Up here at the top of the triangle is like um, understanding, knowledge and all that. But you don't get that if the kid's insecure, doesn't feel he belongs, um, feels fractured. Well, if I can go back to your issue about anxiety, what's happening in the human brain? You've got uh, in terms of our evolution spinal cord up to the brain, whatever. And um, when something, event happens, we see or hear it, that uh, registers in our receptors, obviously. And it's the brain stem, uh, the arousal centres, your amygdala, your hypothalamus, particularly the amygdala in this case because it's your emotional centre. It says whether this is safe or not. So if it feels because the kid's feeling insecure, mum and dad aren't too good, they're yelling at and screaming at him, you know, get up, get your seatbelt on, get fed, get in the car again. And, get, and um, it's, it's just a, a crazy pace. So their amygdala is up 
And so when information comes in, bang, it hits the amygdala and the amygdala says, this is dangerous. It shuts down the brain for fight or flight. That's its job. So kids are then not processing stuff because they're not, they're not in a position emotionally to do it. You put some, a bit of music on or you do give the kids a meditation or give the kids some breathing exercises where they just unwind. And a lot of schools now are starting to do that because they know they can't connect with the kids if their amygdala is still saying, nah, we're in danger. Absolutely. It's very interesting and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and I know that when you cross that point of when the emotions are out and it usually starts with my emotions being out, you know, there's no point in kind of trying to make progress in whatever we were trying Mm. to do until we actually come back to a settled state. And we, homes have got to be aware if, that, you know, we're not getting anywhere while we're on that red alert and your amygdala's up. If you can earth it and find the techniques that work for your family, mm. and they might be quite unique, you know, they don't, it could be belly breathing, it could be volcano breathing, let's get it up and out. I had one little kid that um, I need to mention, Grace, um, and Grace was eight. She came from a very difficult family. And so I was teaching her about volcano breathing. You know, if you're angry, breathe it up and out. Let it go. You've still got some anger in it up and out. She said to me when she came back and from very difficult circumstances, she said, Dr. John, you said, I've tried that volcano stuff. It doesn't work for me. I said, okay, well, what works for you? She said, I like rainbows. I love colours. She says, when I breathe out, I breathe out and take down all the nasty colours, the purples and dark reds, I take them all down. And I bring up green and yellow. I want them on top. So that's my breathing. And she said, that works for me, so I put it in a book. I thought it was that good. And at the end of it, I thought, this is unfair that she's got to pay me for <laughs> my <laughs> services. You should I, pay her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually learned from you, Grace. Yeah. So it's about kind of taking those techniques but then making them individualised or well, unique. Yeah. And, and what would work for you wouldn't say work for Will. It's mm. just once it work. When I can't sleep at night, I don't know what your technique is. But I've got to, I get the, some people do belly breathing. So I do uh, waves coming in on your minor beach. And I visualise and do that. And it, it, uh, it, that's, that's mine. Uh, everyone will have different ones. And as long as they learn which works for them. Mm. So if we had um, families or communities or um, teachers wanting to kind of build their toolkit of um, exercises or things they could, you know, experiment with with kids, where should they start? Well, you know, Google's got a fair bit on it for, mm. s- for start. I've written a book helping young kids beat frustration and anger and another one helping young kids beat uh, the worry bug. Um, but, you know, that's exercises for kids, but most of them are for any of us, really. And uh, they're part of my worry week kit. Um, schools have got, every school in the Central Coast has got that kit. Um, donated by Mingara, which I think is an incredibly generous effort from Mingara. So 
Yeah, and there's also some there's some groups that can meet and, and do meet and so on, but most of the parents are too frantic to have time for that. They've just got to find... There are apps, beautiful apps now, Smiling Mind apps, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sure everyone listening has, has, should have an app, something that just works for them. And just tune in and just take, take it all down, take it down because we're getting... We're living a, a wrong sort of pace of life. And it's just uh, not a good balance we're leading it. And I've got to admit, I'm... I was one of those offenders. I was so busy. You know, it's just such a hard struggle. We're, we're pulling parents out of the community. Cubs and scouts can't run because there's no parents around to run them. They're all busy uh, earning those incomes to try and make ends meet. And the kids won't worry about how much you want. And, you know, kids can adapt to so much. What You know, think of your happy times when you were young. And... It was when it wasn't your uh, your wealth that determined that. It might have been your emotional wealth at that time, or it was the only time you got to talk to mum. Or you know, those are the things that make you wealthy. And uh, I'm talking about wealth. I think richer than I, you never can be, because I had a mother who read to me. Um, just reading to kids just pulls the anger out of ourselves. I had a friend who, she was so flat out doing a PhD, she would read chapters of her PhD to her kid. <laughs> and I don't know that that was all that clever, but it, she was reading and the kid felt close. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know about that. When I went up for mine, I did mine on children's play, you know, something. That was what it was. And the guy before me was on the, the mating habits of the tetsy fly and all these special things, and what do I go up asking for? Children's play. You know, I felt such a geek <laughs> compared to all these scientific people all around me. Uh, there's, there's, um, it definitely sticks with me what you said at the beginning about, you know, if the, if the household is anxious or if the parents, mm. they'd sort of set the tone and then um, that is what the kids are often reflecting back. Mm. Um, and I, I will confess that as a parent, I probably thought I was incredibly zen and emotionally regulated until I had kids. <laughs> it's that whole thing of, you know, you want to see how patient you are, then you need an opportunity to be patient. Mm. You want to see how, how good you are at regulating your emotions, then you need to try it when you're sleep deprived and when you're, you know, your household is much more messy than it would be if it was just you and you're kind of dealing with some of this, you know, that the external chaos reveals the internal chaos. Mm. Um, and your loneliness at times like that. Yeah, there would yeah. have been times, Will, when you would have felt nobody understands me. No one knows. Mm. I've got this and this to do and I'm so lonely and everybody's feeling like an island in their own home. Mm. And we just, that's why we need to connect, even if it's someone, you, somebody, a neighbour or somebody, you've got to be able to, to be able to connect. Yeah. Where we're not very well connected, particularly men. Yeah. I feel very lucky, very privileged in some senses because I'm very aware of that um, but I do have a group of fellow dads and you know community that that is very strong and I actually just just this weekend gone went on a, a camping trip with you know a group of dads and kids and wonderful because we're all facing the same stresses and we're all asking questions together how do we be better dads how do we be more patient how do we 
get that better balance. And you, you've got role models there too. So you, how did he handle that? Yeah. Yeah. For people, for people that are feeling, uh, you know, they listen to this and they go, that would be lovely, but that feels so far from my current experience. I do feel disconnected. I do feel isolated, maybe a bit helpless. Do you have any thoughts around how to begin to build that, how to begin to build that sense of belonging or community? Um, I don't know that this is a blueprint, but it just starts with um, something that your kids were already in, whether it's a mother's group or whether it's a preschool mum's group or whether it's the soccer club or the whatever, linking up with that so that uh, you're at least starting to come out and feel in your amongst same age cohort um, and, uh, and doing it in a way which is selfish in a way. If you try to get people to do join this and join that, yeah, well, a bit flat out. But if it's in my interest still, and I think we should be uh, more active about. When I, when I was uh, in Toowoomba, I started family daycare in Queensland and I started Homestart too where a, a lady would be trained and she would be, uh, like she'd be a mum whose kids were a bit older and she would go into the home of a mum who had a few kids under five or twins or, uh, or a kid with a disability. And she would just sit with them or shop with them or something. But it's, it's community helping community. And the reason I got behind family daycare, they didn't need to be, build big buildings. We could just say, oh, I can set up there and get trained and so on and I can connect and so on. And... Anything which has got that, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the essence of a community helping community, that's the, that's the model you want. Um, it's called more connected living in the country than I do when you, and those of you are living in apartments or flats, your job then is to not get too close to one, of course they're too close. So we're distancing our people because, so, for instance, um, if you, you know, t- our town planners, we know cul-de-sacs work particularly well. They connect. Those people feel so safe in their cul-de-sac. Now, I know there might be exceptions to that. Um, in New York, in Harlem, where they were killing each other, so what they did was they closed the road down and they made it so that the, couple, the families could connect and they used that part to play their baseball or whatever. Just the whole idea of, connecting instead of being divided by concrete and cars and careers and chaos. You're a poet, John. I'm just saying I'm getting into alliteration here and uh, um, I'm up against the professional, so (laughs) I'll I'll, uh, go quiet. Wow. So it's such a holistic thing. It even comes down to like community planning and I had had never thought of that before. Oh, it does. That blew my mind. It's Community planning and where is uh, where are they planning for that sort of community? Uh, especially as we're so disparate, you know, from Boyong to this to that to that. We're all so isolated. And that's all right if they form a tribe there um, and it can connect like Pearl Beach where I used to live. Um, it's got its tribe and it's got its, um, it, it's got its buddies group going now. It's got all sorts of plans in case of fire because we're fire prone. They are welding that. It's possible. Uh, and uh, Cooper does a fair bit of that. And so on. It sounds like one of the big themes of this conversation is that obviously there's no like uh, 
you know, magic solution. There's no like single skill you could learn or kind of phrase we could say. Um, but I do feel like words of reassurance can be a really helpful starting point. And I'm just wondering if, if you imagine right now uh, young people in our community and then those parents, grandparents, you know, role models, to each of those groups, what would be your words of reassurance or your, your, your words that you would want them to kind of carry in their mind at this point in time? Well, don't spend time flogging yourself for your mistakes you've made. We do the best we can with what we know. And those grandparents have done that in a different world. They don't understand the way the kids are being brought up now. Um, so don't go flogging the other generations either. We've all got our rods and we've all got um, our assets. So I think it would be, I'll go back to, it'd go back to connecting, uh, speaking up. And I think if we had something for the community, um, forget your three R's, you know, because they're about dated. If we had respect, relationships and, and resilience, um, you could add responsibility in there as well. That's what we should be working at as the, as the core of what we're trying to do in our schools and between each other uh, is to, um, to draw us closer because it's hard to hate a person that you nail. When you know he's just another person, that's Charles Lamb's words, not mine. Uh, but so the more we can get to get the connections going in a way where the family doesn't feel threatened by or forced to, and there's plenty of opportunities, um, then that, that, that community will, will be able to cope with a lot of setbacks and be there for each other. You see, you think about after bushfires and after how the community just rallies because suddenly people they never spoke to, suddenly they, 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 they get to know them and they help each other and, and they form bonds that last a lifetime. We don't want this, the crises, but we can bond families much easier than that because the crises are there in their minds, not physically with bushfires, in their mind. I'm going under. And it's, so it's a question of what are the things that they're struggling with and how do we work with them through, through all that. No magic words, I don't think will, but... Um, uh, I've seen it work. If we can do it, I've, I've made it work in various um, things that I've started and initiated. And, um, I, I know the model's right. Yeah, it's very helpful. They don't have to be magic words to be to be wise words, and certainly um, words that you know I I hear and I really appreciate. Even just the message, you know, don't flog yourself for. Well, you haven't done it right, but let's work out what are we going to do next? What are we going to learn from what's been? Um, and the idea that I really hear there that we would never wish the crisis to come, but sometimes the worst things that happen to us can bring out the best mm. in us if we, if we allow that invitation. Yeah. Such yeah. an times, irony. Times of need, we sort of reach out. Oh, we've got to have our families. They're in need. They want to reach out, but they're scared. Mm. And they're too distant. So if we can help them to cross those barriers, whatever it is, they, uh, they'll be there. They're there. The people haven't changed biologically. They've still got the same needs they've ever had, you know, caring, loving, understanding, sharing, trust, encouragement, respect. They're all there. 
but uh, we need uh, this screaming out. We've just you, your <laughs> your podcast. Hopefully, will help give them ideas of how we can reconnect. What things can we start that would work that are generic, you know, not superimposed that way, but mm. rather things we would like to do. Mm. Thank you so much, Dr. John. I've certainly got a lot out of this conversation and uh, it has been incredibly relevant to me as I'm sure it, it will be to many people listening. I just want to thank you for, um, yeah, your, your encouragement, your wisdom, your experience, your willingness to share some of those stories. There was definitely moments for me. I was like, whoa, that just blew my mind. I never thought of it like that. So, yeah, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Well, thank you. I, I probably couldn't think the way you do either. <laughs> If you are unsure about how to have a conversation with a young person in your life about crisis, there is a document in our show notes from the Red Cross on exactly that. Our conversation with Dr Irvine has given us a great insight into how normal life and crisis events like fires and pandemics can make us feel like islands. But that's what makes it even more important to reach out and forge those connections. John advocates for a reintroduction of the concept of neighbourhood, a tight-knit community. It's important that we engage with our built environments, get to know our neighbours and live and take part in the places we live to make them better. For today, maybe think about the things that might already be happening in your neighbourhood that you could be a part of. Does your neighbourhood have a food co-op? Do you shop locally? Do you ever go for a stroll around your streets just to see what's new and what's right under your nose? These are some things that we can start this week before we continue our journey and dig deeper in the following episodes. This is a great segue into next week's episode where we speak to Joe Hilda and Mel and Ben Gould about the ways in which we can make habits and partake in activities that help us take care of our communities. After listening to the ways in which we can help our kids and ourselves prioritise our mental health, we've put aside time at the end of this podcast for a breathing exercise. You might want to take a second now to do this by yourself or with your kids. So if you want to grab someone to join you or gather the young people in your home, you can pause it here and press play when you're ready. We have a square breathing exercise that we'll do together today. And as we begin, make sure you're in a comfortable position. If you want to stand up, have your arms by your side. If you want to sit down, make sure you have your back nice and long and place your arms on your legs. And if you want to lay it down, you can have your arms by your side or resting gently on your belly. So square breathing has four stages. It's all about breathing deep, holding your breath, letting it go, and then holding before starting again. You can think about each part as travelling up a side of a square and then going down a new side of the square as we switch to a different section. So let's give it a go. Breathe in with me now for two, three, four. Now hold it for two, three, four. Now let it go for two, three, four. And hold for two, three, four. 
We're going to do that four more times. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold it, two, three, four. Let it go, two, three, four. And hold, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold it, two, three, four. Let it go, two, three, four. And hold, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold it in, two, three, four. Let it go, two, three, four. And hold, two, three, four. And finally, breathe in, two, three, four. Hold it in, two, three, four. Let it go, two, three, four. And hold, two, three, four. Amazing. Now let's go back to our regular breathing, letting our body control and regulate our inhale and exhale. Do you feel any different? Take some time to check in with your mind and body and remember you can use this anytime if you're anxious or overwhelmed or just need a calming breath. And for a final time, we want to thank Dr. Irvine for being on our episode today. What stood out to you from this conversation? One of the key themes of Emergency Ready Now is community connectedness. So, if this episode was useful for you, we encourage you to share it with someone and have a conversation about it. You can also help more people find this by giving it a rating and review on Apple Podcast or sharing it through your social media. Make sure you hit subscribe so you can listen to next week's episode as soon as it's released. Until then, let's take care of each other and continue to become emergency ready now.